right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and today it's a How I Got Here version of the podcast with McKenna Hassey, who is a sprint car driver, team owner, and college student. Uh, among the many uh, many things she does right now, but uh, that's not really scratching the surface of her story, which is why she is perfect for the How I Got Here This Week. I was at the Knoxville Nationals this last weekend in Iowa, and I happened to be talking to Mike Larson, who is Kyle Larson's dad, and we were just talking about various things, and he said, you know you should really talk to is this McKenna Hassey. He started telling me some of her story, and I thought, wow, this would be amazing for a How I Got Here uh, so the Larsons introduced me to McKenna, and we were able to record the interview while we were in Knoxville. So um, there's nothing really I could say in the intro that's going to even scratch the surface of her story. So let's get started and hear about how McKenna Hassey got to where she is today. All right, everybody, I'm sitting here with McKenna Hassey. We're in the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame and Museum here in Knoxville, Iowa. And as we were walking over to the table we were going to sit down just now, you showed me a mannequin of yourself because you're the first woman to ever win at Knoxville Raceway. So there you are. That's kind of an impressive way to uh, start out an interview, I guess. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's pretty <laughs> cool to have something here on the second floor, because especially during nationals, because everybody comes. And so it's kind of cool to point out. Yeah. Well, you are the first woman to win here at Knoxville Raceway. And uh, I guess I'm just wondering, first of all, like how this got this whole thing got started for you. Um, I understand you grew up in Iowa, I believe. And so were you like a race fan growing up or anything? No, I wasn't. Um, My family was kind of your typical ball sports family. We grew up in Des Moines, but I went to school in a small town called Carlisle. So we played like every sport, especially softball was big in my family. Um, And when I was in third grade, we went on vacation to Tennessee and we were walking through a shopping mall going to dinner and we ran into Casey Kane. Um, but I didn't know it was Casey Kane at the time. And I knew he was famous because all these girls were around him <laughs> wanting autographs. And so being a third grader, obviously you want to see what's going on. So we almost didn't go over there because it was kind of out of our way to see what was going on. And finally, I reluctantly went over. And it was, I w- there was some lady there and she said, sorry, this is, this is over. You know, um, Casey's done. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't come here to see him anyway. Yeah. So I like left and um, we were walking back to our parents and they said, turn around. And well, he had followed us. Oh. Because he thought that like we didn't get his autograph. And so um, he starts talking to us and asking us about racing in Iowa and all this stuff. And it was really awkward because I had no (laughs) clue what he was talking about, but I was trying to act cool. You Uh know, I'm like um, trying to read the sign with his name, you know. And so we left the mall and I was like stoked. And my parents just thought it was like a fad, you know, like, oh, she met some famous guy in this mall and now she like thinks she's a fan. Uh-huh. Um, and I, w- I eventually got his T-shirt and I wore it like every day. And I just became like obsessed with not just Casey, but just like following racing. And in the meantime, I had a cousin who lives in Arkansas who started racing micro sprint cars. And um, again, I went on vacation to watch him and I like fell in love with the idea the kids could race. Oh wait, rewind. That okay. was that was after in between that time period I went and watched Casey race. Oh, okay, gotcha. So that was gotcha. my first race was watching Casey. What kind race. of race did you see him in? Uh K N N actually. Oh wow. Yeah, wow. K N N um at Iowa Speedway in two thousand eight and at Iowa Speedway they had a display for Slideways Karting Center in Knoxville. Mm-hmm. And so I'd seen my cousin's car and these cars looked like my cousins and they were sprint car style go karts though. And so 
the guy that worked in there was like, well, you can drive one. And I like died, you know? <laughs> and so we came to Slideways here in Knoxville and they're just, you know, they go like 20 miles an hour and it's just like a little track, but I took it really seriously. And so I started going out there every weekend and I'd put in like two or 300 laps and wow. Yeah. And months went by and there's like about 15 different cars there. And so I would memorize all the cars, the way they handled the different ways they were set up. And so I was 11 years old at the time. And in the fall, midsummer fall, um, they had a kids league on Thursday nights. And so I really wanted to join that. So I begged my dad and we went down on a Thursday and they were like, um, they're like, we're sorry, but no other kids showed up for the league. Oh. So I was super disappointed. They were like, but there's a men's league uh, and you could do that instead. And I look at my dad and he's thinking like, no way, because I'm just this little girl and there's like 30 men here <laughs> to race these go-karts. And I decided to do it. And I ended up doing that every Thursday for two years. Wow. And um, I would always get the trophy for like youngest participant at nationals and stuff like that. And um, it was just really fun. And my second year, um, so then again, in the meantime, I went and watched my cousin race, died over the fact that kids could race. Like I was just just mesmerized um and so this dirt track i watched my cousin at was in oklahoma so my parents lied to me and they told me that the only dirt track in the world was in oklahoma (laughs) so i could never be a race car driver because it's too far away oh my gosh so i became obsessed with this racetrack and the drivers like i idolized these kids like you would have thought these were nascar drivers so i memorized like every kid that raced there their background i memorized the rule book i memorized like the prices of all the cars and i tried to come up with this financial plan to go race in oklahoma and I'm like 12 and there's, I, I recrunched the numbers like a hundred times and there was no way. Cause micros were like $6,000 and you know, the gas to get there, there was no chance. Um, so like I said, I grew up in a small town going to school there and there's a local sub shop, ice cream shop. That's like really popular. And so I start going in there and lo and behold on the counter was a picture of a sprint car style go-kart, like what I had seen my cousin race, oh. but it looked different, a little bit different for my cousins. And so I freak out. I'm like, Oh my gosh, like you know, surely there's this racetrack in Iowa because this race car is on dirt and this sub shop's in Iowa. And um, side note, it's an it was a picture of an outlaw cart, but I didn't know that at the time. So okay. my cousin raced gotcha. micro sprints. This picture was an outlaw cart. So all I knew, it looked like a funny looking little sprint car, you know? Mm-hmm. And so what I would do is this was before like A phones and B smartphones for me anyway. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I'd memorize a sponsor a day on the race car. Like I'd go to the sub shop, look at the picture, memorize the sponsor and go home and Google it to see if it would lead me back to wherever this car was. And the name on the car was too small, the name of the driver. So I couldn't read it. And you would think that I would just ask the, the owner, but <laughs> yeah. he was friends with my dad and my family wanted nothing to do with me being a race car driver. I see. So I always, like I was always going behind their back to do all this. So you're sneaking a peek at this picture without letting on that you're actually like quite interested in it. yeah yeah like i mean my parents knew i was like obsessed with all this stuff but mm-hmm. they were kind of trying to like keep me from it which mm-hmm. given my parents knew about knoxville raceway they went here in the 80s you know oh so, so they, they definitely kinda, knew oh they, they knew oh, okay they just yeah they just lied and so <laughs> uh, um so in late 2009 um i i went to slideways with my grandparents one day and they were bragging about my cousin racing micros and all this stuff and the guy working at slideways goes oh that must be um that must be like the cars those kids race at english creek speedway and i like paused i was like what did you just say he's like yeah you know english creek speedway that go-kart tracks out the town and i like freak 
because this has been like months and months and months and i'm like oh my gosh like this must be the place Mm -hmm. so i'm like memorizing it again i don't have anything to write it down on or like a phone to look it up so i'm like english creek speedway english creek speedway so we go home and i google english creek speedway and lo and behold up pops this car in the sub shop wow and i'm like oh my gosh and so i freak out i still like these just they just didn't look like sprint cars they were like funny looking little cars because outlaw carts weren't popular at all at the time I showed it to my dad. My dad was basically like, those cars look dumb and we're not going to watch them. Huh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. And finally I talked him into it. Um, and we went and watched. And of course I'm like, just freaking. Because this is just like the track in Oklahoma. And I'm like, there's more than one, you know. And it's right here in Iowa. And, wow. Um, yeah, obviously come to find out years later, there's thousands of dirt <laughs> tracks. And you know what I mean. But at the yeah. time I'm thinking like, this is a gem. And so um, I took him there as much as I could talk him into it. Um and the Knoxville Nationals roll around. So in 2009, I found Knoxville. I came here in May of 2009 for the first time. And um, we came to the probably the 360 Nationals. Um, and uh, we're walking around town. And they there's a shop here that sells outlaw carts. And so uh-huh. I go in with my mom, not my dad. And uh, I meet the owner of English Creek Speedway in this go-kart shop. And um, he's trying to explain outlaw kart racing to me, but everything he would start to say, I would finish the sentence. So he'd be like, so the 125 class, and then I would finish the sentence. Uh-huh. I'd be like, this is the age range book, because I had memorized the rule book at this point. And, um, and he would just kind of look at me funny, like, whoa, like, how do you know all this kid? Yeah. And uh, I was like, I read it on the internet. And uh, he's like, that's crazy. He's like, well, here's my business card. My son race, or my grandson races box stock. If you ever want to get in his car after the races some night and drive it, you can't. Wow. So I'm like, just freaking out you know and at this point in time um this this cart shop where they sell go-karts it was my dream to buy a fire suit from them because i knew i was never going to be a race car driver so i was like if i can't be a race car driver i at least want to own a fire suit just the suit just the suit and so if you look back in pictures of me racing at slideways i had the same outfit that i'd wear every week and it's all black like long sleeve black shirt and long sleeve back pants and then black wrestling shoes because it was like the closest thing i could get to fire suit, you know? <laughs> so i thought i was like a stud walking around in this and um that's awesome yeah and um and so we so I run home with his business card. I'm like, dad, dad, this guy gave me his business card. And he said, like, I can drive one of these cars after the races. My dad looks at me and he goes, McKenna, he's like, you're not doing that. He's like, that's only for kids that might be race car drivers someday. And you're never going to be a race car driver. So you're not doing that. Dang. And I'm like, crushed. You know, I'm like, ah. Oh. So I kept this business card for forever. And we keep going back to watch. And you can read uh, in my diary. I like write about taking my dad to the races. And one of my favorite lines was i wrote um i think daddy really likes this deep down but he just doesn't (laughs) want to admit it and um and then i wrote uh he said that i can't be a race car driver because only the kids with nice equipment win and only the kids who have parents that know how to work on race cars win and my dad doesn't know how to work on a race car and so i start saving my money my parents said when you're 16 you can get an outlaw cart when you can drive yourself there and drive the car there and pay for it yourself so I came up with this financial plan on how I was going to have enough money by the time I was 16. So you think like an a la carte like $3,000. Mm-hmm. So I start saving my money and saving my money. Well, now I'm 12. And so I have this plan set up for when I'm 16. So when I'm 12, I have like 800 bucks saved roughly, you know. And um, finally, it's like almost the end of the season at English Creek. And my dad agreed to let me get in this kid's car wow yeah and like it was only because this was my second year at slideways and i could run like second in the feature but i was so tiny that i couldn't beat the guys because like they weighed more so they went faster 
So oh. no matter how good I could drive, I could never win. And it just got to the point where we were constantly fighting every night coming home. Like, I would just cry and cry and cry. Like, I want to be a race car driver. I want to be a race car driver. And... Um, what what do you think was his biggest um, like why why wasn't he letting you do what he was worried about safety like deep town or um, I think you know at the time I just thought he was being a mean dad mm-hmm. uh, looking back I think it was because even though my dad didn't know much about racing he's a smart guy in general and he knew enough to know like just that it was expensive that it was dangerous that we knew nothing about it um, that just it was risky mm-hmm. and just something that he didn't want to put me through type of thing. He was trying to save you essentially from getting your heart broken yeah. or physically hurt or something. Right. Okay. And also at the time, um, like I won't go into specifics, but we were like, we kind of had a couple like family tragedies at this time period too. And so it really wasn't the best time to be asking also. So it was very mm-hmm. risky on my part to be pushing for this so hard at the time. Gotcha. Um, but so you were saying you're, you're about to get in this cart. Yes. And so I'm about, so we, we bring, you know, my, I had a helmet and, um, we go to the race and, um, and I get in this car and I'm like nervous because here I've been begging now for, you know, years and this is like my shot, you know, and like, and I know, I mean, I had no choice but to be fast because else my dad was going to say, no, you're not even good at this, you know? And I remember, um, the kid's dad pushed me out there and he was like, I was like, okay, like what line do you want me to run? Like, you know, he's looking at me like, just figure it out, kid. Like, you know, it's not. Like you just, you can take it easy. You know, it's not like the Daytona 500 here. Um, <laughs> and I had watched like a million YouTube videos in car cameras and memorized them like wow. from inside the cockpit. So I was just going to mimic exactly what they did. So they just fire the engine up on the straightaway and I just like take off. And like, I was just like on the fence, like, you know, about scraping the wall. The kid later on, the driver said, he was like, man, I thought you were going to wreck that thing. Um, so I went for forever i mean i just kept going and going eventually the car ran out of gas and um and i didn't know this but my dad was standing in the infield apparently the dad looked at his son and said well son it looks like i found myself a new driver oh yeah <laughs> which we're, we're wow. good we're good friends with this family now so i feel terrible saying that but um yeah so the car runs out of gas and i pulled in i was like did i do it right and they're like yeah like you did fine you know what i mean like it's you know you did just fine and um it was just kind of at that point, I, you know, I like look at my dad and it's like, well, now what, you know? Right. And a week later I heard him like on the phone with some people looking well, I had every single go-kart in the nation memorized by heart that was for sale. I checked every day, all day. The classifieds had every price memorized. Wow. I still have the ones that I wanted saved um, on file. I have newspaper clippings in my house with highlighted trailers that I was going to buy for sale, little flatbed trailers that I got in the local newspaper, stuff like that. So I had this all planned out. And so I gave my dad my documents and um, he called like my dream, you know, so remember I idolize these kids and there was yeah. a girl that raced there and she had like my dream go-kart and it was for sale for like $2,800. And um, my dad called him and I came home from school one day I was playing volleyball at the time Mm -hmm. I hated volleyball and I come home and I'm like ticked after practice you know and my dad's like let's go get in the car we're gonna go look at this go-kart and I'm like I was like freaking out so we went and bought it and I give my dad $800 cash that I had saved and he helped out with the rest um yeah and we went racing and um uh so those cars at slideways that I had memorized all those years and I memorized the setups and the way they drove. The fastest one was the 55. So I picked the number 55, and to this day, oh, I still carry the 55. Wow. Um, That's so cool. And at, how many years was it later? It would have been 
five, six, seven years later, I went to Victory Lane at Knoxville on Slideways Karting Center night huh. and put the, the big 55 in Victory Lane. Wow. So it kind of all came full circle. And now I have my own driver development team, um, Vox Talk Outlaw Karts, and they carry the number 55. That's so, so crazy. Wow. Yeah. So um, you're in school now. Yes. You're at Drake. Mm-hmm. And um, from what I understand, um, you are able to... Are you an account, a finance major, accounting yep. major? Uh, I was finance. Now I'm business studies with a concentration in finance. So you're basically learning on the job to understand how, like, learning in school and learning, like, the application of this at the same time, completely turning this into a business t- for yourself, raising funds, doing yes. accounting. Um, how do you, how do you juggle all that? What what all goes into that? Yeah. So. Um, I would say that's probably the number one thing most people don't know about me in racing is they kind of see me running the race team and they think that comes from what I've learned in in racing kind of in a sense. Um, Long before I was into racing, like since the time I could talk, I was going door to door selling whatever I could find to sell. Um, I fell in love with the stock market in third grade and, and was just into investing ever since. And so I fell in love with Warren Buffett about middle school, high school. Um, and he became my idol. And so when I went to college, I became a finance major on an investment track as an analyst, which mm-hmm. really has nothing to do with racing. Um, but giving, but learning how to sell and learning numbers and finance did give me the ability to sell sponsorship, mm-hmm. which, you know, so I was never into marketing and never really interested in that. But um, I would sell hand sanitizer at sports complexes when I was a kid for a quarter squirt, make 70 bucks a weekend. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Stuff like that. Um, I didn't really like people that much when I was younger. I didn't like talking to people. My parents used to say that one of their arguments against me being a race car driver was that um, they would always say, well, you just want to be a race car driver so you can get down in that little cockpit and shove a helmet on your head and hide <laughs> from the rest of the world and never talk to anybody. Um, and then I get into racing and I'm this like bubbly, outgoing, talkative person. And I think that's just because I found my place. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of selling, I learned how to sell. So I went banging doors down trying to get sponsors. And um, and that's really what led to, I mean, I moved from outlaw cars to micros, micros to sprint cars. And that's what allowed me to um, to be able to do that. And to, to do it ethically is huge for me. Um and to, to which pro- means what <laughs> um just <laughs> paying sales tax uh, you know um just keeping good records and you know all of that um trying not to backdoor anybody's sponsors or hopefully not step on anybody else's toes and deals um pr- providing sponsors with the services that i promised um same thing on the merchandise side you know having good customer service um you know, hopefully giving discounts where it is or stuff like that and just following through with, with all of that. And that's something that behind the scenes in motorsports, the business side of it can be pretty nasty um, and pretty unethical. And so that's something that I try and, and integrate into my business. Uh, and a lot of that stems from Buffett for me. Buffett was big on that as well. So, so what, what all um, falls under your umbrella right now? Um, obviously you're driving. That's yeah. a, has to be the number one thing. Yes. Um, you're getting sponsors yourself yes. and doing like the deals with them yourself. Mm-hmm. You're handling the finances of the books of the team. Mm-hmm. What, what else are you doing? Yeah. So, um, THR, T 
Team Massey Racing LLC is the sprint car team. So yeah, I do I do operate that. Um, so like you said, I I do have a sponsor acquisition. Um, I do the accounting. I, I have an accountant and I have an attorney that I work with, but I do most of that. Um, and like the sales tax and stuff like that. Um, I process all the merchandise. I do all the ordering for the merchandise. I process the um, orders in my basement um, and mail those. Um, I do, oh goodness, um, obviously like the appearances. Obviously I drive the car. I used to work on the car a lot more than I do now. Now I've hired a full-time crew chief, so I did get to the point where I was able to do that. Um, And then I, I also own Compass Racing Development LLC, which is my driver development program. So for each kid, I kind of coach, mentor them. I help them with their funding. I do their marketing presentations. I do all the graphic design also, by the way. I forgot wow. that for the marketing presentations. The website I keep updated. I run all the social media, nine accounts total on that. Um, and then, I, you know, so I go to call it. I go to Drake and, and I do that. And then at Drake, I'm the president of the Drake Investment Club. I'm in the American Marketing Association Uh, fellowship of Christian Athletes, University Christian Fellowship, and the College of Business Leadership Council, which also entails the service committee. Um, and then outside of kind of all of that, I do, um, I work, or I have a job. Um, I work at a promotional products company. Wow. And then, um, and then outside of that, I do uh, Ninja Warrior training, um, as well as, I, I, you know, I'm a second degree black belt in martial arts and Krav Maga. I don't do all that full-time anymore. I do Ninja Warrior full-time as an athlete. So. How, how do you have time <laughs> to sleep or do anything ever? <laughs> um, you know, I get asked that a lot, and I don't want to promote. Um, that's I, I, Sometimes I hate sharing how much I'm involved in because I don't want to promote like, kind of this sense of, you know, you know, like I'm higher than anybody type of thing. You know what I'm saying is I, I believe in living a life that's simplified and just happiness and having like quality happiness in life. And I think the world's too stretched. And I think there's too much tension. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and so I don't want to try and promote that. Um, but I think, I think it comes down to what you can handle. And for me, it, it hopefully comes down to not me. You know, I, I want, like compass is a great example of something that that's not about me. Um, I don't want, I don't want that to be about me. I don't want thanks. I don't want anything in return. I want that to be me giving back to the sport. Um, same thing with the investment club. That's not really for my benefit. Um, I just hope to share, you know, I hope to educate others on investing. Um, do I really have the time for it? Probably not. Um, but I try and make time for things that involve other people and impact other people. Um, and yeah. So with the investing and the stock market stuff, um, you've done like well enough to help support yourself with or the team and, and your funding efforts. Is that correct? That's, I read that somewhere. Um, you know, uh, most of the investing has been with my personal money. Um, there, there is a way to invest in terms of the actual stock market itself, invest in LLCs funds. And so I've been looking into that more going forward. Um, I think asset allocation, I'm huge on asset allocation and profit maximization. Um, that's very big for me with the sprint car team. And so, um, and motorsports in general, I think that, that that's the biggest thing that I focus on. Hmm. And so, um, what, like, where do you go from here? Um, I mean, you're so young still, you've, <laughs> you've accomplished a lot. You're live, starting to live your dream. You have, uh, accomplished more than you probably originally thought you were going to. Um, what's next? What, what else is on your radar? Right. So, um, I got my first win here in Knoxville in 2015. I picked up, that was in a 305 sprint car. I won three times in the 305. And then this, this year I won in the 360 also. 
and I did that twice. And so those were all things that I never, I mean, no chance was I ever going to be a sprint car driver, let alone win. And so those, um, those were big accomplishments for us. And, um, you know, if I died tomorrow, like, uh, you know, we'd be proud of that, but I don't feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I don't feel like I've accomplished everything I'm supposed to accomplish. And as far as what's next, you know, um, you can never be a hundred percent sure I want to race professionally and I want to impact the world in the most significant way possible. And I think that the race car is just the medium and the platform, um, in order to do that. And so, you know, I've always said the goal is NASCAR, um, that would reach a lot of people and I would like to have a larger voice and a larger impact. And I think that would give me a medium to do that. Um, if that's not in the cards and that's not part of God's plan for my life, then, uh, maybe it is midgets and sprint cars, um, professionally, but regardless, I want to be behind the wheel. And I know I'm involved in a lot of things in life, but, uh, being behind the wheel of a race car has always seemed right. And, um, no matter what, a couple more follow-ups here. Um, First of all, Casey Kane, um, I'm sure he knows the story by now. Have you talked to him or been like, man, I'm really glad that you came after me that one time? You know, um, back in 2014 was the first time I'd seen him since. And I gave him um, just a little, it was kind of like my driver resume, but it had the story inside along with a newspaper article. Um, and I just gave it to him and I've never talked to him since. Oh, so, uh, you know, it is funny after all these years, I probably say his name every day or every other day of my life. Cause uh-huh. I get asked all the time, right. How'd you become a race car driver? So I think I, I'm his personal marketing <laughs> assistant in that regard. Uh, cause I do talk about it all the time. But the funny thing is, is I've never talked to him about it. So, wow, that's funny. Um, and then second of all, uh, I assume once you started getting more into it, your parents are fully on board now and happy to see you doing this. Yep. So my, my dad and I ended up learning how the cars work. Uh, so him and I worked on my race cars, uh, all through the outlaw carts, all through the micros. And then, um, the first year sprint cars, it was still kind of him and I, but we had some help and some people teach us the ropes and it wasn't up until last year that I hired a crew chief for the first time. So that was the first time my dad wasn't the head guy, uh, which is really cool to see my dad go from having nothing to do with it um, to to being so knowledgeable about the race cars. And then my mom, <laughs> she, she didn't really have, still have a lot to do with it up until my sister graduated, you know, and, and moved to Nashville. And now my mom doesn't have to spend as much time with her traveling to softball games and stuff. So my mom's been a big help with the merchandise and really just not necessarily the racing, but helping me do other things in life so that I can focus more on racing. Um, does my mom like sprint car racing? No. Oh. <laughs> um, or at least, you know, she doesn't like me doing it. Uh, she likes NASCAR. She likes IndyCar. Um, but she supports me and I think they're both proud. Um, they're both still nervous. We do still fight about decisions and racing. And, um, my mom still tries to get me to quit, but deep down, I think they want to see me achieve all my dreams, you know, and they want to see all my hard work pay off because they're really the only people that have seen what I've truly gone through behind the scenes when it comes to just like the darkest of days and the depressions and the losses and the heartaches, you know, they've seen all that. And, um, I think they want to see that pay off. So when you look back at it now, like, um, do you think that there, if, if, if you had never gone to that mall or, um, you know, and and never gotten hooked on racing, 
were, were you the are you the type of person that is going to get so like obsessively focused on something and so driven about something where there was going to be something else to replace that or was it racing that brought that out of you you know i think all the stars had to be aligned just right so not just even in the mall but so many times in my career like i just so happened to be in the right place at the right time and i i truly believe that's like a god thing you know um i've i do ask myself a lot what would have happened if you wouldn't have walked over there because i was standing in the doorway of the restaurant and i left I was like, what if you just would have walked into that restaurant? And I think my cousin racing, you know, also had a lot to do with it. And so I'm like, well, I feel like I would have found it either way. Um, But without Casey, I just don't know. Um, I also think my sister, by the way, had a lot to do with it in the sense of I never wanted to do anything like her. Hmm. So she was a softball player, cheerleader, and she was really good at all that stuff. And I never wanted to do anything like her. And so when I found racing, it was the one thing that nobody in my family liked or wanted anything to do with. And I was bound and determined, you know what I mean, to to prove them otherwise. Like, this was going to be my thing. And I was going to have something special in my life, you know, because it was really Michaela's softball was a big thing for my family. Not that I didn't get to it. I, you know, I had a lot of activities I was involved in also. But I think, I think it was, if my parents wouldn't have been as resistant, I don't know if I would be where I am today um, hmm. because it, I was bound and determined. I was so stubborn that I was going to prove everybody wrong. Um, and in the beginning, even with my friends, I mean, everybody, nobody in my school raced or knew anything about racing. It was lame. And even when, when I started out, I was 13, 14 racing outlaw carts against like little kids. So it wasn't cool. Mm-hmm. And um, I think now people see, you know, everything today and it's hard to, to take them back to that time and say, you know, I kept fighting in the midst of the fact that I would walk out of school. I did leave school twice at least just from getting bullied about being a race car driver, wanting wow. to be a race car driver, how lame it was and stupid. Um, I wouldn't wear race shirts to school, stuff like that. Um, and now, you know, when I graduated high school, I saw kids wearing my race shirts. To <laughs> and wow. so um, to persevere despite all that resistance, um, I think there's no doubt you know what i mean today sometimes it's hard to second guess and to doubt and say man am i really supposed to be doing this like who do you think you are mckenna um but then you look back to that and it's like there was something there and 10 years after i met casey in the mall i went down for the nascar drive for diversity combine and there was a hurricane in daytona so we had to drive in instead of flying and we went through nashville tennessee and stopped Hmm. at the grand Ole opry shopping mall 10 years from the time that i met casey there and again, it's just like little things like that. Um, I feel like I probably still would have found it, but um, there was definitely something special that happened in, in that mall that night. Wow, that's pretty cool. Well, um, I, I, I think that hopefully someday we'll do another How I Got Here with you or the second half of your story <laughs> years down the road because it seems like it's very much still in the works. But thank you for sharing the first half or up, up to this point. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right, everybody, so there you have it. Appreciate McKenna so much for taking all the time on Knoxville Nationals weekend to talk to me about that and tell me her story. Uh, We ended up talking even more afterwards, and she was telling me about some of the driver development stuff she's been doing. Pretty remarkable program. She's ushering along some kids who um, seem to have a really bright future and played an integral part in the career of, of one young man who just won in his division uh, in the Knoxville Nationals this last week. So um, pretty cool stuff there, and I'm looking forward to seeing what else she is going to accomplish in her life and career.
So those are the two podcasts I recorded from Knoxville. The previous one was 12 Questions with Brad Sweet, who went out the next day and won the Knoxville Nationals, so that was cool. But now it's back to the NASCAR stuff. And, of course, this week I will be at Bristol Motor Speedway Saturday night planning to do a post-race podcast with Aaron Bearden, who uh, some of you have gotten to know him through doing the the newsletter subscription. Um, he is taking over the newsletter now and is putting out a daily email of racing news. So hopefully you're subscribing to that because it's pretty good stuff uh, if you're not. But anyway, that's the plan for Saturday night. It will be out sometime late after the race, perhaps when you wake up Sunday morning. And then it's back to the normal order of the 12 questions. I had adjusted it to squeeze Brad Sweet's interview in there. So it will be back to William Byron next week uh, on Tuesday for the 12 questions. So make sure to check that one out. Really do appreciate everyone's support. And if you are someone who is not really quite ready to make the commitment or uh, just doesn't have the means or just doesn't really feel like supporting the website of the podcast through Patreon, I guess, um, there is another way for you to do it, and it's free to you. You can just go to jeffgluck.com slash Amazon before you start your Amazon shopping. That then takes you to the Amazon homepage, and I will get a credit for your purchase at no cost to you, no additional cost at all. Uh, it's just basically a referral percentage that Amazon does for people, and so uh, that would help me greatly. It all adds up um, to various things that we will be planning to use for our diaper fund and things like that as the baby arrives, uh, in two and a half months from now or something like that. Not sure exactly when she's coming, but that's uh, the prediction anyway. Anyway, thank you as always for listening. Thanks for listening to this longer version of the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. And I will talk to you next time on the untitled Jeff Gluck podcast.